Portland is a baseball town. Our secretary didn't have anybody on the phone. (laughs) There was nobody on the phone. They were just egging me along. So they brought a little short, chubby guy in with the name Peters and put him (laughs) in my place and sent me to double A ball. Two fans, one mission to bring Major League Baseball to Oregon, fueled by Guardian Games and Athletic Field Design. This is the Diamonds and Roses podcast. Without further ado, your hosts, Ben and Dave. We are back here week two with our uh, latest interviewer, interviewee, sorry, uh, Daniel Jurek. Jurek. Daniel Jurek with Prep Baseball Report. Uh, What did we talk about last week, Andrew? Uh, We talked about uh, his early years, uh, high school, college, uh, Little League, what got him interested in baseball in general and his passions. And yeah, we had a good chat. Yeah, definitely. Some good stories. Yeah. You know, it was really interesting hearing what he had to say about, um, you know, his high school career, some of his his college and some of his, you know, his takeaways. You know, we're talking, he's on, he's like right here with us, but, you know, we're talking about him and and stuff. And it was just interesting to, to really you know, as we've gone along this podcast over the last year, now we're in year two, it's just listening to what everybody has to say and, and kind of their takeaways as far as their career. Wouldn't you say so, Andrew? Yeah, that's that's for sure. Yeah, you got to we talk about the experiences and what they take away from that. So there's a lot of valuable uh, information and learning experiences when you just develop uh, as a baseball player or even as a person. Yeah, and, and we... So why don't you take it away where we left off um, with the draft? Yeah, so uh, you were uh, drafted 25th round with the Atlanta Braves. So did you even know that, uh, Dan, that you were going to get drafted or major league teams were looking at you? Um, Well, first off, thanks for having me back, guys. I'm glad to be here. Um, I did not speak to a major league scout until after the last start of my senior year in college. So I knew that I had a small following over the course of the year. Um, some local area scouts that have come to a game here or there, stopped by, you know, sporadically to at least just get some eyes on me. Mm-hmm. Um, but never real any conversations and nothing that really uh, developed or got my hopes up until that very last start, my senior year in, you know, late May with about, uh, 10 days before the draft, um, I, I had the chance to throw in the postseason, and there was a, a pretty big turnout from the scouting community to watch a kid that was pitching in the game before me who ended up going in the fourth round. So he attracted like two dozen scouts to the game prior to ours. And, and thankfully, you know, Kevin Barry, the scout from the Braves who ended up drafting me, stuck around to watch our game. Um, and I, I had a pretty good performance in front of him. So when things got done that night, I had a voicemail on my cell phone from him. Um, we got connected. I filled out some paperwork, and he just told me to make sure I stayed throwing. Um, don't you know get lazy or you know uh, get out of shape too quickly because he, you know something could happen here when when the draft approached. So I kept throwing through some bullpen, stayed active even though my season was over, and then the uh, day before the draft started. I got a phone call from him and he said they kind of had their last few meetings. Um, everything went well and that he hoped he would be calling me, you know, in a day or two, which was 
crazy to even think about and wasn't I, I tried to temper my expectations to not assume it would happen or think for sure it was going to happen because it just seemed like such a long shot mm-hmm. um and, and thankfully it, it just worked out um so prior i i was listening to the draft live when i found out i was selected it was after the fact that i got a call from kevin and then you know a call from the from the braves organization to kind of fill me in on what was going on next um but get, kind of getting back to your question you know I didn't know it was definitely going to happen, um, but I felt like there was at least uh, a decent possibility once we got a few days away from the draft. Yeah, yeah so it was making traction. So you were in, uh, engaging with the, the Braves uh, organization. So you, you, you had a sense that there's some traction going on. Definitely, but I was so foreign to the draft process and how it works and, and all that stuff that I wasn't even sure what the conversations meant at the time or how to really interpret it. Um, I was just really naive and, and kind of green to the whole thing. So um, just kind of hoped for the best and, and thankfully it worked out. Your family must've been really stoked. I was, I was, <laughs> yes. Um, I was in my living room on the laptop listening to the audio broadcast because by the time they get to, you know, the, the teens and the 20th round, there's yeah. no more video coverage. It's basically a, a live stream audio mm-hmm. and then like a draft uh tracker that will post the information after the fact so the audio was ahead of like the draft board and you know i was listening and they said atlanta braves 25th round id number whatever daniel jerick st john fisher college so um gave my mom a hug she was sitting right there next to me and uh just kind of sat there in, in awe for the next <laughs> two hours or so um <laughs> at as some phone calls and text messages started to, to fill in. So did it, did it feel at that moment in time, was it feeling like you hit your first hole in one and you just couldn't believe it? And everybody else is just like going berserk around you. I'll have to get a hole in one first before I, I can answer <laughs> that question effectively. Um, well, we'll talk about my golf game on my, on my third episode, but, uh, you know, my mom showed a little bit more emotion than I did naturally. Um, me, it was more kind of like that, that good type of shock like an oh my gosh type moment, this is incredible. Um, I didn't really yell or scream or, or jump around. It was almost just like a uh, wave of excitement and joy kind of came over me at once, but also like a very relaxed sense, like mm-hmm. this, it happened. And I don't know what's next, but if nothing else, you can always really enjoy this moment right here yeah. and no one can take it away from you. So let's talk about that, like what's next um, for you. So you get drafted. Now you're getting these calls, though. I mean, are they are they telling you, okay, we need you to come sign the contract and or we're affecting the contract? So for me, uh, the the information I got was the draft is wrapped up. We need to sit down and talk about how we're going to divvy up these draftees, like where we're going to send them to, what teams and sit tight and you'll find out that you're going to either Danville, Virginia for the Appalachian league or down to Orlando, Florida for the Gulf coast league. Mm-hmm. Um, they called me back like a day or two later said that I was going to rookie ball in Orlando with the Gulf coast league and that they would handle travel arrangements and send me all the information. Just don't miss your flight. And when, when you get down there, all the contract stuff and everything get, gets figured out. So mm-hmm. For me, being a, a senior, I was what you call a senior sign. 
there's really no signing bonus or negotiations whatsoever because you have no leverage. Um, so it was a pretty easy, straightforward process for me where, you know, a high school guy or a, a junior or someone that can negotiate a little bit might have a bit of a different process, but I, I would have walked down to Florida if they needed me to. <laughs> <laughs> you move on to the Ghost Golf Coast League, which is mm-hmm. like a rookie ball Yep. Um, at that point. So you, you get there, you know, what was what was just that feeling like at that moment when you you get there and you know, like, wow, you know, I'm now playing rookie ball for the Atlanta Braves. The, the Gulf Coast League itself is a really interesting experience because you're down in Florida in late June, early July with some really tough humidity. You're playing games at noon and one o'clock in the afternoon. So it's all commuter trips as well. So because of that, you're getting to the clubhouse at, you know, eight in the morning, pretty much every single day. Mm-hmm. Um, and by the time you get back home, if you pitch that day or not, you're, you're pretty gassed. It's, it's a long day. It's a lot of heat. You're not used to that type of routine yet. So the first few, you know, days and even up to one or two weeks was like, very difficult to get your body used to the early mornings playing day games getting back and i mean you're falling asleep at like 8 p.m 9 p.m sometimes and then getting back up early to do it all over again um the game environment itself feels more like spring training because you don't really draw fans at all at that level um you're playing at spring training complexes you're not in small town minor league ballparks or stadiums or anywhere that has like a loyal fan base it's basically show up play and compete against a, a bunch of other really young guys and guys that have just signed or you know big leaguers that are rehabbing and things like that so mm-hmm. it's it's not the most glamorous stop along the uh minor leagues but there are certainly some benefits to it you know you're playing in good complexes you have the big league clubhouse from spring training you're in orlando florida um, there, there was a lot of things I enjoyed, but it is, it's a tough league to really, um, find your, your comfort zone in early on, especially coming from New York. So, yeah, yeah. Upstate New York to Florida, but it's, it's just a lot of transplants in Florida anyways from New York. So I'm sure you get along with a lot of people down there. Yeah, I did. And, you know, I was lucky with the fact that a lot of the draft picks who were hanging out with me at the time were very like-minded guys um, from some Northeast schools or, you know, the PAC Northwest and things like that. So um, I was surrounded by a really good group of guys that made the transition easier and we all got along well. And, you know, similar to like, you know, the, the friendships and bonds you have in college, you could mm-hmm. minor, minor leagues is a different dynamic because you're, you're still competing with each against each other. You know, you're competing with each other and you're competing against each other to try to move on in advance. But mm-hmm. um, the dynamic with my teammates was a, a huge benefit, you know, early on. And that was uh, a good part of the experience. Yeah. So that in two, that was in 2010 in the summer. So mm-hmm. you started off in the Gulf Coast League playing for the Gulf Coast Braves. Then you went to Danville and then Rome. What was, you know, what were those three different levels like? Because you got to experience them within one one summer. Oh, uh, every time you got bumped up, um, the atmosphere and the gameplay and the stadiums and the amenities were better and the competition was better too. So it was cool to um, 
play at night for once, you know, in Danville, it's a stadium, it's a smaller stadium, but it's that good small town vibe. Um, there's people in the stands, like there's a crowd behind you. You're not showing up to the field at nine 30 in the morning. Um, it's, it's a more enjoyable routine. You're taking bus trips there. You're staying in hotels. You're not commuting back and forth. Um, the trade-off is you're now you're facing more advanced players. So mm-hmm. you need to make sure you stay on your game. And then from Danville to Rome, the travel routine is the same. The environments are the same, but everything is just uh, at a much a slightly bigger scale. So better stadiums, better venues, uh, just more fans, and again, better players. So you you need to make sure that you don't just get caught up in having, you know, more fun. You, you got to go out mm-hmm. and play as well. So it was cool to see kind of like those three different uh, levels and experiences all within the same the same month, uh, essentially, because of the travel and things like that. So where, where, where did you uh, enjoy more? Uh, Orlando, Florida, uh, Rome, or Danville? Which, which um, place did you? I liked Rome the most. Um, being in the South, South Atlantic League and, you know, in low A ball, you're, you're playing at some cool venues. So Rome has an outstanding stadium, um, there's a really good fan base there. The, the clubhouse is very, uh, comfortable for the players. It's spacious. There's a weight room. Like I'm a pretty simple guy. I don't need a whole lot of stuff to, to keep me, you know, occupied. So if I had a field where I could show up at two, get my work in, uh, get my treatment, do my throwing, get a lift in, and then just be ready for game time. Like that's really all I'm looking for. Mm-hmm. Obviously, Orlando has all the tourism stuff and attractions and nightlife that you can want. But when you're playing, at least with with my personality and my demeanor, like I don't have time to enjoy that. So it's great. It's great that it's there, but I'm not going to be going to downtown Disney like three times a week. So um, for me, Rome so much of Mickey. Yes, (laughs) exactly. Um, So for me, Rome, Georgia was a great experience for the player because of all the things that they had there for your development. And then also the, the venues and you're going to, you know, Greenville, South Carolina, you're going to Charleston, South Carolina, you know, Kannapolis, uh, you know, Greensboro, North Carolina. It's it's cool cities that I had never had the chance to experience. So that was Mm -hmm. a lot of fun. Now, uh, between now at the end of the 2010 season, um, you end with the Rome Braves. Uh, then you, getting ready to pick up for your 2011 season. Um, I read that you went back to Danville that uh, the start the 2011 season. Is that true according to what the records say? Yeah, uh, that was the 2011 season was kind of tough for me. I had never been to spring training before, and I didn't really know what to expect or how things would go. Um, the general belief I had was that you do well in spring training, and then they send you to a full season ball club to begin your year. So given my age and how I had pitched and where I was at, I anticipated I would start the season with Rome to begin, which was low A. Um, didn't work out that way. I stayed at extended spring training, which basically is a point where you played well enough to not get released, but they didn't feel like you were a fit to begin with a full season ball club. Mm-hmm. So you kind of stay back, you go through spring training all over again, you kind of wait to see where, where something's going to open up. Yeah. So 
initially the first opening for myself was with Rome, but it was just for one night. So I flew in for a night, pitched two innings, and then was back in Florida the next day. Um, and then I got another call back to Rome for a more extended period, did well enough there to get promoted to Lynchburg, which was uh, Lynchburg, Virginia, uh, in the Advanced Day Carolina League. Very short stint there before back down to Rome, then back to Danville for another stint, and then actually ended up the season in Rome. Mm-hmm. But for the second straight year, uh, played across three levels um, between Danville, Rome, and then Lynchburg. Mm-hmm. And then um, transitioning from 2011 to 2012, what, what happened at that point at the end of the 2011 season? Because it looks like you went from playing in uh, A-ball to then going and playing independent. What, what happened at that point? Uh, in October of 2011, so just over a month removed from the end of the season, just got, I got a call from one of our player development guys uh, explaining that I had been released. Um, they didn't see me making a roster out of spring training that would have been appropriate for me to be on. So basically looking at my age and my track record, they basically said you would need to be on double A AA or triple A. And we don't think you're going to make those rosters. So mm-hmm. we're going to cut ties. Um, so that was that was the end of my uh, affiliated experience. Um, there weren't any other clubs that reached out or contacted me. So um, I had an agent at the time that was able to secure an opportunity uh, in an independent league team. Uh, that was actually in New York State. So it was pretty convenient to get to. And was a, it, had, it was a good league. It was reputable. We had a brand new stadium really good setting and I wasn't ready to give up baseball just yet. So I figured I'd, I'd give independent ball a shot. So you were and that was with the Rockland boulders. Correct. Yep. Rockland boulders in the Can-Am league. So talk to us a little bit about what that experience is like in the Can-Am league. It's man, it's such a, an interesting dynamic where you're going to cross paths with guys that have a wide variety of baseball experiences. There's ex big leaguers there. There's guys that have never played pro ball and there's, there's everything in between. And the, the ultimate goal is to play well enough in independent ball to get back into affiliated ball for a professional organization to notice you and then, you know, want to sign you. Mm-hmm. So that's the mindset I came in with. Um, and I tried to hold on to that as best I could, but, you know, when you get about halfway through the year, you can kind of read the writing on the wall a little bit, and you you know, like, okay, I'm I'm good enough to be a, a successful indie ball pitcher, but I can see why I'm not getting chances in affiliated ball anymore and for whatever reason. You know, whatever might be holding you back. Mm-hmm. That was where you know indie ball is a good time for like some really honest self evaluation about yeah. what you're doing well, where you fall short, and you know what your future may hold. So. Um, had had some good performances, had some bad performances, had some a lot of fun traveling with the guys, uh, crossed paths with some some big leaguers that I never thought I'd ever see in real life, like Jose Canseco and Daryl Ward, and just a, a wide range of experiences, you know, over the course of that season and the next season. So, indie ball is a lot of fun. It's it's tough because you're not getting the same treatment and amenities as an affiliated pro ball type of uh, system, but 
it's it's still baseball and, and at the end of the day there's there's a lot to be said about just being able to still play uh and get a paycheck from it yeah and then so you have one final season in independent ball in 2013 with the mm-hmm. city explorers yep um so you, you know you had your one your previous year in independent ball now you're 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 back in with a different team why not did you not get asked to go back to Rockland, or you just wanted to make a change? Um, actually, neither. I got traded. So oh. the interesting thing about independent ball is that you can get traded to com- completely different leagues that have no association with each other. So the Can-Am League would play games against the American Association, and basically I got traded from Rockland to Newark, and Newark was in the Can-Am League. It was the... Um, uh, Newark Bears. That was the franchise. And then two weeks before I was supposed, to, I was going to report to Newark. I got a call that I had been traded to Sioux City, Iowa, to the Explorers in the American Association. Mm-hmm. And I just went with it. I was like, okay, well, at least I still have a place to play. So I got in touch with their GM. He explained the situation to me. He actually said they were they were hoping I would have the chance to start for them, which was important to me. So I packed up my stuff and got in the car with my dad, and we drove about halfway across the country to Iowa. Uh, I kept the car. He flew back and basically spent the whole summer out there. That must have been an uh, interesting experience for you. You're, you basically played uh, your high school, college in the Northeast, then uh, minor league ball in the, in the, in the, south, the Southeast and, and uh, in the New York region. Uh, What's it like playing in the Midwest or just living and in, in, in playing there? I, I thought the Midwest was pretty similar to the Northeast in terms of uh, the, the speed of life and the, the demographic of people I was interacting with and how they, how they were and just the overall like vibe. I felt like it was pretty similar to the Northeast. Um, it, it's cool to just see different parts of the country, like regardless of what you're doing and whatever your profession may be like, because we, we don't really have time to travel in the summer and take vacations or do like touristy type things. You're really kind of relying on baseball to provide a lot of experiences for you. And thankfully for me, like I had the opportunity to do that and to see, you know, the South and the East coast and then the Midwest, because I was just, I was traveling for baseball. So it, it was always fun to just see where the next destination would be. And, have the chance to to be somewhere and play in front of people at a stadium and in a town or city that I had never been to before. Cool, some really good experiences. Yeah, absolutely. Still keeping still keep in touch with the, your teammates. Here and there, you know, with how things are today, it's a little easier to follow guys on social media and, and kind of keep up with what they're doing. But honestly, getting back to a conversation we had prior, it really for me is uh, I'm tighter with my college guys, like my college teammates. And some of my my old teammates from high school the most. Um, pro ball is tough just because by then you're you're playing with a bunch of grown men that have families and you're adults, so you're friends and you're cordial with each other. But it's more of a profession at that mm-hmm. point. So I would say the bond isn't always necessarily quite as strong. Yeah. All right. Well, before we take a, a quick break, I'm gonna go back to our part of this podcast that we call three questions that we like to ask. I know in the last episode. We asked Dan three random questions, so I have three more for him this time, so we get to know him even more than we did <laughs> and over these last two episodes. 
The question, first question is, we're on the road traveling. Could be either in a car or by bus. We're all together. Uh, and you pick uh, any sort of music or if you have a specific song. What are we listening to? Uh, we're going to be listening to some techno, EDM, dance electronic, whatever you want to call it, type of music. That, that would be my go-to right now. Okay. Next question. Who would you want to pitch against? Since you're a pitcher, if there's going to be one Major League Baseball player you could pitch against and you get one opportunity, who would it be? Oh, man. That's a really good question. I would probably have to say Mike Trout. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just just simply because he's the best in the world right now. and That would be – it'd just be fun to go against him or try my best, I should say. Is there anybody like all time other than Mike Trout? If you could pick any player, I guess probably Ted Williams. Oh, just you know, because he's regarded as arguably one of the, one of the greatest hitters of all time, and the four you know, six season. Probably, uh no, I would say the season right after he came back from the war, because he was probably a little rusty. <laughs> <laughs> I can get him while he's rusty. Yeah, not in his prime. Definitely not. In his not. Prime. No. Last question before we take a break. What's one thing that remains on your bucket list of things to do in life that's just fun that you want to accomplish? Oh, wow. Bucket list items. Honestly, I think it would probably be... I'd like to go to a World Series game. Okay. You know, I don't, I don't, I don't go to a lot of sporting events. I, I, I really enjoy the aspect of just being able to watch it from your own home and be comfortable, but... I think at the end of the day, seeing a, a World Series game w- would be a pretty awesome experience. Where would where would you want to sit if money wasn't an issue? Probably right behind home plate, but not too low because I feel like if you get too low, it actually is a, a disadvantage. You can't really gauge everything. So behind home plate, but a few rows back. Okay, excellent. Well, we're gonna uh, we're gonna take a quick break um, and hear from our sponsor, and we'll be right back. Sick of overpriced apparel and equipment? Looking for a company who prides themselves in quality products and services? Look no further than our friends at Hit Factory Athletics. Created by a pro ball player, born purely from the love of the game, they exist to serve players and fans of the game. Take it from me, Ben. Hit Factory Athletics prides itself in quality and service. Head on over and check them out at www.hitfactoryathletics.com. That's www.hitfactoryathletics.com. At checkout, enter promo code DRPODCAST. That is D-R-P-O-D-C-A-S-T and receive a 10% discount upon checkout. Join the legends with Hit Factory Athletics. All right, we're back. Uh, We're finishing up talking with uh, Daniel Jurek. Uh, here he's he's we've got a lot of good stuff in haven't we Andrew so far between uh, our last episode last week with them and and this week's episode so far it's been really 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 interesting yeah really interesting a lot of fun topics we're yeah, talking about his minor league baseball experience and he's been to a bunch of different teams and a whole uh, different uh, stadiums and just the cities and just the overall experience it's now, yeah quite quite interesting now Andrew I I think I recall one thing, and correct me if I'm wrong, but uh-huh. didn't he say he played in the California Penal League at one point and met Rick Vaughn? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> is that right? 
brief brief stint in the league with with uh, Ricky Wild Thing Vaughn. Yeah, we were we were we were buddies back in the day. <laughs> well, uh, Dan, you know I, I can't say this enough, but you know, man, I really really appreciate you sharing everything that you you've done um, so far. Uh, you know, through your what we've talked about through your baseball career. Um, now, now really comes the heart, you know, to me, uh, would be the hard question. Mm-hmm. And that is, is that you, you've gone from playing affiliated baseball to then being an independent with that hope that maybe at some point you'll, you'll sign and you'll be able to go and play, uh, back again, professional, uh, on an affiliated team, maybe even in the major league baseball. Uh, but what point was it just like, all right, you know, I'm kind of just not seeing the stars aligning and, I, and I, I'm done and I'm going to have to hang the cleats up at, at this point professionally for myself. Yeah, it was the, the summer of 2013 with, with Sioux City. And I was probably six or seven starts into the summer where the arm started to feel a little worn down. Nothing major, just, you know, most guys pitch through normal aches and pains. I wasn't, I wasn't battling through anything crazy, but just started to feel a little bit more fatigued than I was accustomed to. Mm-hmm. And I think it was my eighth or ninth start where I was in the, the second inning of work and I reared back for like a 2-0 fastball. And I remember looking up at the stadium gun and it read uh, 80 miles an hour and at the time, I, w- I wasn't a flamethrower by any means, but I would throw, you know, 87, 88, 88 miles an hour with my fastball. So to kind of try to gas one up and only see 80, I was like, oh, that, that doesn't look right and that didn't feel very good. So let me let me try again. And uh, mm-hmm. same result. You know, I was throwing fastballs and they started to look like change-ups. So... I called the trainer out and threw a couple warm-up pitches and came out of the game after that. So, unfortunately, that was my last ever uh, appearance and pitch in a professional setting, you know, coming out mm-hmm. with injury. Long story short, it turned out to be just a really intense case of tendonitis um, from my triceps down through my elbow and never recovered from it that season. And in the off season, I would be holding like a grocery bag while I was at the store, like buying some stuff and my elbow would be in pain. So that was kind of the point where I was like, you know, I'm not going to be a big leaguer and there's no shame in that. So while, while that was going on, while I was going through the, the retirement woes, thankfully an opportunity came up at my alma mater to go back and coach and begin uh, a coaching career while also going to grad school for free. Mm -hmm. Um, So it was a GA position that became available and given where I was professionally and, and what I wanted to do in the future, that, that was too good of an opportunity to pass up. So the, the combination of not being completely healthy and having a really good opportunity in the coaching world was kind of what got me away from the game in a yeah. sense, but stayed involved as a coach. And that was at St. John Fisher. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So it, I read on your thing, you were the assistant uh, baseball coach and recruit, recruiting coordinator while you were there too. Yes. Yep. Yeah, that's correct. And that you worked with the pitching staff also, I'm assuming? Yeah. Yeah, that was my primary focus, um, trying to work and help and develop with the pitchers. 
And then uh, also I had one season where I focused primarily on working with our, our offensive guys and helping the hitters as best I could. What was that yeah. feeling like for you being back at your alma mater and being able to uh, now coach and pass on some of the things that you've learned throughout your career to that point? It was great. I had a wonderful time. Um, I had a really good relationship with the, the head coach, um, uh, Brandon Potter, who's still currently coaching. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the school was a place I felt comfortable. Obviously, I had experience with the baseball program and was was involved with some guys that I actually played with early on in my coaching career. So it was, it was just a really good way to get started, you know, in the coaching profession to, to go where you, you kind of grew up playing uh, collegiately um, and where you were, you know, very familiar and, you know, you knew the lay of the land, so to speak. So you kind of had a, like a plan outside of baseball or playing professionally. So it looks like you had a plan. So they had a, the St. John Fisher gave you a, a, a free ride to, for grad school. Uh, what did you study? My undergrad degree was in marketing. Marketing. Um, and yeah, then when I went to back went back to grad school was for my my MBA. Your MBA, and yeah. uh, and on top of that, uh, you were co- uh, the assistant coach, and you were uh, the uh, head recruiter, or one of the recruiters. So it looks like you just had a, a, a some plans uh, outside of baseball just to to get going, and still want to be part of the game of baseball. And I never really grew up with the intention of wanting to be a coach, but. I knew that at that point, like I wanted to stay involved with baseball in some capacity. So the, the easiest transition was to get involved with coaching. And I, I wasn't ready to just completely get into the quote unquote, you know, real world um, and, and leave the game behind me. So I wanted to at least, you know, test the waters yeah. before going anywhere else. Yeah. So you spent, uh, th- you spent three years um, at St. John Fisher uh coaching what what was probably one of your biggest success stories while uh there as a coach i i think that the biggest success story is just the overall strength of the program now there was there isn't really one particular moment that i think defines like what i'm most proud of or what i would say is like the the biggest success but essentially since i graduated every other following like graduating class has had the most wins in school history. So there's been two more playoff appearances since I graduated. They made their first trip to the division three world series. Um, we've had another draft pick and the standard that the program is held to now is better than when I was playing. Um, so it's gotten to a point where expectations are pretty high every year. And I just think that in itself is, is a really good thing to be proud of and to enjoy and to just kind of appreciate that, you know, your alma mater and where you coach and where you're going to begin your coaching career. Like the expectations are to be uh, a playoff caliber program, you know, every single year now. Yeah, it must be amazing since you started uh, uh, as a freshman, the team uh, made, made the, the, the postseason. Then all of a sudden, like years later, they're like a perennial uh, playoff team. It, it must have been amazing that the program has progressed so far. Yeah, absolutely. And, it, and it's cool to, to be on both sides of it, um, to, to play in the postseason and then also to, to coach in the postseason. You know, I'm thankful I had the opportunities and, uh, you know, the, the baseball program with, with our head coach now, I, I mentioned earlier, Brandon Potter is in good hands and 
I they're going to continue to just keep moving forward, and I think they're you know ready to have another strong season this year and continue the winning ways. Yeah, and let's let's go on to your continued winning ways. Uh-huh. Um, so you you coached there for three years, and and now you you've got yourself what appears to be a very interesting um, position. And uh, with uh, Prep Baseball Report, what what brings you to that? So when I was coaching, Prep Baseball Report was already established in New York State. And I had the chance to develop a relationship with the state director out in New York, a guy named Dan Savit. And over the course of the next few years as a coach, you go to some events, you, you see how they run things, you get familiar with their website and their videos and their scouting. And it was just a really new, but also really efficient and, and productive way to see some baseball players, get eyes on guys and get really good information when you couldn't be out there recruiting. So that was how I first got introduced to, you know, prep baseball report. It was from me needing to have access to, a lot of really good players beyond that when i kind of got to like that crossroads and knew i wasn't going to continue with coaching anymore but wanted to stay involved with baseball the the state director from new york dan gave me an opportunity to help out and, and get involved in, with some of the things they were doing and i was also able to secure a summer position with prep baseball report doing some scouting out in cape cod mm-hmm. so that was my introduction to like the national side of things where I knew what they were doing in New York, but then the stuff we were doing in Cape Cod for summer collegiate scouting and, you know, the draft HQ and those reports with Dave Seifert, who does our collegiate scouting was something completely different and completely foreign to me. Um, but that experience went really, really well. And thankfully while I was doing that, I caught wind of the expansion they were looking to do out in the Pacific Northwest and, here we are now. Mm-hmm. Which is really, really cool. Uh, what you're doing now, I mean, I know we caught up with you at the Northwest Scout Games, and I was watching <laughs> you a little bit about what you were kind of seeing, what you're doing a little bit there. Um, so uh, what are some what are some things that you, you've been doing uh, since being with Prep Baseball Report, and more specifically, like here in the Northwest, what are some things that you've been working on yourself? Uh, the biggest thing that, I'm constantly working on is just trying to have as much information about the players as possible. Um, Knowing who the best guys are and kind of everything in between, you know, who's going to be the next up and coming guy that commits to a big time program. Who's, who's on the verge of maybe being a draft guy. If they have a big senior year, Uh, anything baseball related, I I just want to have information about. And there's, there's a lot of different ways you can go about that. So early on, when I first moved here, my primary source of you know, information was just to go to high school games. Go to as many high school games as you can, scout the game, take notes, get your video on players, and then just keep doing that all over the state. And that was how we got started. Beyond that, I need to also run our own events and get things going that we execute and that we run because that is going to give us a chance to see guys up close and personal and keep all the information that we get in our database, create profiles for the kid, and allow our 
our other scouts to then filter and funnel information to us as they see them at other venues or national events and things like that. So really the main goal is to just be the best expert on baseball in your territory and figuring out how you need to go about that. Because every territory and every state is going to be different. There's not an exact blueprint to follow. You just know that you need to see as many baseball players as you possibly can. So yeah. what, which states do you cover for this? Uh, Oregon, Washington? Do you yeah, cover Idaho? I'm responsible for, for Washington and Oregon. Uh -huh. okay. um, now, that being said, say we have an event that we're running in eastern Washington, it's not limited to just Washington players. So mm -hmm. you can have guys from Idaho or Montana, Wyoming uh -huh. come over and register and, you know, participate and whatnot. Yep. Um, so let's talk, I just want to talk really quickly about the Northwest scout games and uh, kind of do a little recap with you on that. Cause we talked about it and we were both there. What, what are, you know, while you were there, I, you know, I noticed you, you're kind of taking some notes on some of the kids and, uh, or should I say young men and what they were doing. <laughs> um, so, uh, talk to, you know, talk to us a little bit about kind of some takeaways and some things that, you know, you were looking at while you were there. Uh, you know, with the Northwest scout game specifically, it's such a great event to get information from and to scout at because the, the kids that are on the field have been hand selected and they're there for a reason. So it, really becomes easy to lock in on everything that's going on because the quality of play is so good and the players are all talented. So early on, when I get to an event like that, the first thing I'm probably going to try to notice or get drawn to is who looks different physically. Like this is a good group of guys. This is all, it's all players that will advance beyond high school. Is there a guy that really stands out for his athleticism, his size, his strength, his speed, a guy that just moves at a higher level than everyone else. Mm -hmm. um, so that's the first thing I'm going to kind of look towards. And then get, getting into batting practice and IO and watching these guys showcase themselves. Is there anyone that really has a tool that stands out, whether it's his power, his arm strength, uh, how he moves laterally, really trying to focus in on the athleticism and, and physical tools that are prevalent or not prevalent. And then, and then the best thing is they, they played, you know, two full games after the fact. So then you can kind of watch everything take place and see if the guys you noticed in pregame are able to translate their tools and physical ability to the game. And conversely, if there's guys that maybe they're not super athletic in that type of setting, mm -hmm. but they're great baseball players. And they execute what they need to do. They have quality at bats. They're sure-handed on defense. They understand how to run the bases. So just the format for that event itself really is beneficial from a scouting standpoint. And, you know, for the players, too, it's, it's a really good opportunity for them to gauge where they're at against really strong competition. Mm -hmm. um, so as so actually out of curiosity for myself, from a, if I'm a player – and I'm, from my standpoint, like, well, what is it that, like, like that prep baseball report, what if, what can it do for me, if anything, to help, you know, position myself to make myself a bit better known um, out there? Is that something that, like, prep baseball report does, or is it just more of, like, geared towards scouting and this is what we see in these younger men? 
Well, no, the, the, that's the goal is to have information on, on players that is going to be beneficial to them to share with, with college coaches or scouts or wh- whoever the case may be. Um, if their ability is going to allow them to play at the next level, then it's going to be very beneficial to be able to share that information a- anyway, whether it's, it's PBR, wh- whether it's another, so like whatever the case may be, um, it's kind of like if a tree falls in the woods and no one is there to hear, it doesn't make a sound. Yeah. If you're a really good baseball player, you have some ability, but no one knows about it. It puts you in a very tough spot because you're basically going to have to rely on people just trusting you that you're good or mm-hmm. recommendations and things like that. So any kid that wants to play in college sports now in baseball, particularly like you need to have some tangible proof or evidence of what you're capable of. It's it, just the way things are, are going now, because for coaches, they can only be in so many places at once. They only have so much time. The recruiting calendar is becoming more strict. It's very difficult to get out and watch baseball you know, as much as they really need to in a recruiting sense. So if we can help bridge that gap and just give kids an outlet and a platform to showcase themselves, ultimately you're still going to have to be really good at baseball. That's never going to change. But if you are, I think we're hopefully making it easier for you to have that information out there for coaches to find or for you to send out to schools mm-hmm. you may be interested in, and so on and so forth. Wow, that's that's really good. Um, well, I mean, I I got no more questions. I mean, you've answered <laughs> you've answered all the questions that I have. Uh, Andrew, what about you? Uh, so, what what are what are your next steps for the PBR? Uh, do you have any more uh, any plans or what, what's next in store? Um, I, the big thing is to just stay consistent with what we're doing and be patient. Uh, obviously being I'm new to the area, I just moved to Kirkland, Washington in February. Our, our service and how we go about things is new to the area. You're not going to get firmly entrenched in the baseball culture overnight. Um, I think we're off to a good start in terms of creating a little bit of buzz about some players in the area by our, our coverage and our events and, and what we try to what we try to do with the information we have. So I just need to continue to do that and focus on getting a little bit better, you know, every single day and every year. So, mm-hmm. you know, year two needs to be just a little bit better than year one. And year three is going to need to be a little bit better than year two. Um, it's something where the the principles stay the same, but how you go about it and how you, you know, kind of navigate the calendar with specific things is, is a constantly evolving type of process. So, um just put the work in and good things tend to happen at the end of the day. What I, what I try to do is, is relatively simple. I'm not reinventing the wheel. Um, you just have to put the hours in, you have to hit the road, you have to go to the game, you got to go to the park, you have to get your video, you've got to put it out, you know, you got to have your information. So mm-hmm. let me just keep putting the work in the, the players are, are hopefully going to benefit and just make sure that you're, you're, <laughs> always listening to, to who the next guy may be or whatever is, uh, whatever is about to happen next. You just want to be on top of things. Yeah. Yeah. Just keep on chugging. Pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> yep. yeah, it's going to be interesting in the next few years, like all the, uh, the young men that you're watching right now in the high school ball, when they uh, progress and you could see, yeah, I, I saw this guy when he was in high school. It's, it's going to be amazing. 
Yeah, and that and it's cool because then you can kind of see like, okay, here's what I had on that kid as a rising junior, and here's what he ended up doing in college. Or here's a guy that, you know what, I might have not really appreciated how good he was at the time because look what he's doing now. Yeah. Or here, here's a player that was overrated and, you know, we had ranked too high and he kind of fizzled yeah. out. So you're, it's not – I don't try to be uh, – I don't want to look at it as like I'm always trying to be right but I always want to have something on a kid. That's, yeah. that's the big thing. Like you're, you're going to be wrong. It's going to happen. You're going to have hits. You're going to have misses. But as long as you keep putting the work in and you just have information or you knew about a guy, even if it was a small paragraph you gave him, whatever the case may be, that, that's what's important to me is having something these kids can, can look back on or you can reference as they get down the road or they start to progress and they accumulate a bigger track record in the baseball world, just having, you know, knowing the fact that you were out there and you saw them, that, that means a lot to me personally. Excellent. Well, Dan, thanks so much for, uh, again, for joining us. It's been, this has been really, uh, great. A lot of information. And I know you spent a lot of time with us over these last two episodes. So thank you so much. No, thank you guys for having me. It was, uh, it was a really enjoyable experience, and I'm excited to uh, go back, listen to it, and uh, critique myself just like I would if I was if I was still playing. <laughs> <laughs> well, great. Uh, thank you again, thank you again, Dan. It was it was fun. Thank you very much. It's been real. Well, that'll that'll do it for this this episode of the Diamonds and Roses podcast. Um, as always, uh, I'm Ben. I'm Andrew. And you have yourself a great day wherever you are at. Peace out. Peace out.